time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. The American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. Welcome back. We're back. Yes, we are back. That fucking last episode was huge. Yes. And this is the CIA Cold War 188 CIA part something. Why'd you look down after the huge comment? <laughs> <laughs> I caught that. It was that like self Damn, I'm glad to be me. Hey, oh, I wish. Yeah. I wish. <laughs> anyway, so yes, yeah, uh, CIA Cold War, stay focused. In the end of our last episode, uh, Eisenhower becomes yes. president, and the first thing that he does is betray everyone who put him in the job by accepting the uh, truce in yes. Korea, in the Korean War. And, and he, he betrays Bedell Smith's last wish by putting Alan Dulles in charge of the CIA. Smith is like, this is going to be a fucking disaster. But Ike, on the advice of Dulles's brother, John, says, no, I think you should put my brother in charge of the CIA. He'll do a really good job. And that's what Ike does. Yeah. So, um, as I said, also at the end of the last episode, uh, a couple of months after uh, he, he uh, becomes president and only one week after Alan Dulles becomes director of CIA, on the 5th of March, 1953, Joseph Stalin... Uncle Joe. ...sadly died. Yeah. Yes. Um, very funny movie <laughs> made out of it. The Do- of documentary. I think you made a yeah, documentary. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, a few days later, the CIA had to admit to Eisenhower that they still had no reliable inside intelligence in the Kremlin. Uh, our estimates of Soviet long-range plans and intentions are speculations drawn from inadequate evidence, was the oh, official man. wording of what the CIA yeah. said. Eisenhower, of course, was furious. Ever since 1946, he said, all the so-called experts have been yapping about what would happen when Stalin dies and what we as a nation should do about it. Well, he's dead. And you can turn the files of our government inside out in vain looking for any plans laid. We have no plan. We are not even sure what difference his death makes. And, and that, that's a very important point. It's like, okay, we've known this is coming because obviously he's aged a lot. The war aged him a lot, just like it did uh, FDR. We still don't have a fucking plan. And now it's here and you're telling me we got fuck all because – and because of this mentality, because of the great unknown, the Americans in Washington are even more fearful than they were before Stalin died about what Soviet Russia is going to do. What are their intentions? We have no idea. Maybe whoever takes Stalin's place, maybe Stalin was the rational one. Maybe someone who's going to come after him is going to be even more radical and start some shit with us. Maybe war is coming because we have no fucking idea what Stalin wanted to do. We don't know what the next guy is going to do. We have no idea what's going on. So everybody's nerves are turned up to 11. And that's the exact last thing you need during a Cold War. A nuclear. Yeah. Go- yeah. It goes to 11. 11. 11. Well, just make 10 louder. <laughs> No, it goes to 11. Um, 
Yeah, like as we've as we've seen, uh, and it was interesting reading these uh, these books on this period um, mm-hmm. in preparation for this. You know, the, in the in the mindset of Americans and most people in the West um, after the end of World War Two, yeah, the 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 war machine that had been created uh, in the US uh, in, to 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 cope with World War Two. Mm-hmm. You know this this Keynesian military Keynesian economy that had been created, which everyone realized was a great thing, pulled right. the United States out of the Great Depression, um, had resulted in America being the dominant world power for the first time, both economically and militarily, and the the planners realized. Well, this is good for us. We don't want this to go away. Um, by the way, do you like the photo on my mic boom? Can you see that? Oh, let me whip out my. Uh... Oh, <laughs> Rudy. Anyway, and so they had taken the uh, 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 Nazi the view of Nazis that the people had developed the, the Nazi campaign of mass murder and invasion mm-hmm. and world domination and just transferred that onto the Soviets. Yes. They said that what they tried to sell to the American people and to people in the West and the general as well, the Soviets are going to now uh, want to do what the Nazis did. In fact, they're probably worse. Right. They're better so at there was it. No ev- there was no evidence at all for that. Right. But in the minds still today of most people in the West – they think that the Soviets wanted world domination. Yes. Um, that they wanted to, they were they were actively planning to overtake the world, and they were going to just kill everyone, rape, kill, plunder. Right. Right. Therefore, they had to be stopped by any means, and it was a lot easier to sell that because we'd just seen the Nazis, what the Nazis yeah. were trying to do, and that was real, right. And they were like, well, you know, you think that's bad. Yeah. Uh, and they were capitalists. Wait till the communists try and do it. The communists beat But, them. of course, yeah. as listeners to this show know, hopefully by now, Stalin had no plan for world domination at the time. Right. And even if he had, he didn't have the wherewithal to pull it off. They'd been completely destroyed during World War Two, yes, uh, twenty million people dead, entire cities destroyed, yeah. fucking starvation. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the country wasn't doing well before that, anyway, <laughs> economically. Right. Yeah. They, 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 you know, the revolution happened at a time where the czars had been fucking shit up. You know, they were basically not into the industrial revolution. And then you know they got invaded. They had World War One. Then they got invaded by the British and the Americans, and and then they had the Civil War, and then they had uh, you know the the fucking uh, famines, and the, the as a result of trying to quickly modernize the country, and they had the purges, and well, so they they were they were fucked yeah. before World War Two. Then <laughs> Hitler invades, kills twenty million of them. Fucked. You've heard of double Oreos, double stuffed? They were double fucked. Yeah, and how yeah, are they supposed of a DP? To, this is this on is a grand a scale. On, yeah, how are they QP. supposed to take over the world? Yeah, QP. Yeah, they were f- completely <laughs> fucked. Now it is true that 
the, you know, the grand plan for, for communism or socialism really was that they knew that in order to succeed, socialism needed to be worldwide. You needed yeah. to have socialist countries so that you could trade with each other and that you wouldn't, the capitalists wouldn't try yeah. to attack you to destroy socialism. Exactly. <clears throat> but the, Stalin knew they weren't ready for that. When Khrushchev took over the Soviet Union after Stalin's death, he said that Stalin had trembled and quivered at the mm. prospect of combat with the United States. He was afraid of war, Khrushchev said. Yeah. Stalin never did anything to provoke a war with the United States. He knew his weakness. Right. He knew what his limits were. And that and that I, you know part of that might have been the bomb, but I don't think it was you know all about the bomb. Right. He just knew that they Logistics. were fucked. They'd been exactly. fucked. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But from the American, from the point of view of most Americans, yeah, the 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 the, the communists were coming, and they were going to take over the world and kill and rape all the women right. and kill the babies, and they needed to be stopped. And and you've said this on previous shows, so it doesn't matter that the Soviet Western border all the way up to Moscow has been completely devastated by the Germans. Somehow Stalin's going to pull it all together and somehow take all over, take over the world. Not only is that bullshit, but we still do that today. Putin is in his um, Dasha. He's brilliant. He's a genius. He's, he's thinking 50 moves ahead. He's got his hands into everything he knows. And, and we're just barely hanging on. We're barely surviving against him. It's a bunch of shit, but that's what we've been taught that and that's what we know and to us americans that is truth that is fact and so it's very easy to sell it because we're already halfway there because we believe it so but another thing that we need to to harp on is something we've been harping on the soviet unions the soviet union right rightly so is obsessed with national security they're obsessed with their borders Uh, it was napoleon it was uh the British and the Americans, it was Hitler. I mean, they're like, you fuckers keep coming at us from the West, which means we are going to hold on to Eastern Europe. It's going to be a shield. We're going to take those people and make them fight for us. So if you come at us again, and we know you're going to come at us, it's just a matter of when you've got to go through all those countries and all those peoples, even before you get to us. And that's going to give us time to get our shit together. We have learned our lesson. We're going to build up our defenses. We don't trust you assholes. And that's that's one that's completely human that's completely natural that's a natural response but for the soviets it's almost like on a manic level so here we are saying the soviets are evil they're going to take over the world and the soviets are only focused on making sure you capitalist assholes don't come at us again so the two sides are reading each other completely wrong and there's no trust and there's no way to have a sensible dialogue because you've got these two extreme points of view and they're pointed right at each other yeah, uh, I mean, both sides thought that they had the one true <laughs> truth. The one true, yeah, it's like reason. It's like We're the Christians guy. going to war with Muslims, right? Mm-hmm. It's it was it was religious. It was a religious war, and it was literally cast in terms of good versus evil on both yes. sides. Yes, um, absolutely. And that's and that's one of the problems with religion is you get people into a mindset where they accept the concept of inherent evil. Yeah, you can then just start to paint your enemies as being inherently evil, right. rather than going, okay, well, look, you know, they've they've got a they've got a point of view, and it's a reasonable right. point of view. We understand their concerns, a diplomatic view, right? We understand their concerns; they're reasonable concerns. Uh, let's see what we can do. Let's come together and try and figure out how we can yeah. keep everybody happy, which is the whole point of the United Nations when FDR 
you know, set it up. He was trying. It was a, a way of, you know, using diplomacy, right. not war. Let's talk. But uh, for the Americans, uh, you know, and, and, and I think also to the Soviets and the British, it yeah. was there, that, that wasn't going to fly. But they, they worked themselves up into such a fucking lather yes. that yes. Uh, they, couldn't, you know, they, they, couldn't disc, they couldn't pull back. Yeah. They've gone too far now. Isn't it um, the, a great irony that the United Nations and the Western Europe in general takes the very instrument that FDR created, helped create the United Nations to avoid war, and they literally use it as just one more tool, albeit one of the biggest tools on the planet, to go after and contain and hopefully destroy communism. So here was an idea where let's sit down and talk so we don't bomb each other. The Americans and the British and the French um, use that well-intentioned device to just bludgeon the Soviet Union, try to bleed them, try to weaken their economy, their people are going to suffer, break them down and defeat them. So I don't know. It's just sad. But the Americans were literally on a mission from God and anything went, the ends justify the means. And that's exactly what they were going to do. And they did. Yeah. Now, whether or not Eisenhower really believed this whole Mm -hmm. story about the Soviets being as bad as the Nazis and wanting to take over the world, he he had to go along. He promised to stop the Soviets, but it seems like he he was anti-war. Eisenhower, you know, obviously had had managed to never actually get shot at in his entire military career, and he liked it that way. Uh, As I, as would I, yes, yes, yeah. Yes. So he didn't want to start World War Three, and he decided to base his strategy on secret weapons, nuclear bombs, and covert operations. Makes sense. Cheaper, easier, maybe more controllable, but maybe it won't lead to lead to World War Three. I'm going to try these two smaller things working in unison, and maybe I can get this to challenge and or contain, maybe even roll back the Soviet Union. So not a bad plan on paper. But this is the guy who was critical of the use of nuclear weapons when it came yeah. to Japan. Yeah. Now he's basing well, his strategy on nuclear weapons. Well, the train is left as a deterrent. The train has left the station. If there's going to be, hopefully, there won't be a war because we've got nuclear weapons. But if there is a war, we know that we can win the war using our nuclear weapons. It's not pretty, but there it is, and he can't change reality. So I'll try not to. Uh, hopefully, there's no war because of my big bombs. But if there's a war, I've got big bombs. I've got big bombs, bombs and I cannot lie. lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's a plan. It's a plan. And unlike Truman, he really used the National Security Council. The NSC, as you may recall, was created in 1947 to discuss uh, the use of American power uh, uh, globally. Right. But Truman rarely used it. Uh, Eisenhower ran an NSC meeting every week. Good for him. It was him. It was the Dulles brothers and Richard Nixon. <laughs> Sorry, the Dulles, Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, General of the Army Omar Bradley and Richard Nixon, like you said. So, so he was like, let's talk about the hot spots. Let's see what the fuck's going on. Let's see if we can contain this because not going to World War III is kind of really what I'd like to do this week. And so let's. that's how seriously he took it. They met once a week. We need to stop the Soviets without creating a war. Yeah, please. Now, 
the Dulles brothers really, as I said in the last episode, really personified this whole Soviets as evil mindset. They were yes. the Cold War paradigm in person. Everything in their lives up until that point had prepared them for this battle. They, they were the quintessential Americans right. of the 1950s. As I said last time, they were raised as missionary Christians. They, they were raised in a parsonage. Uh, their father was a Presbyterian minister. He was uh, a master of Christian apologetics, um, defined the world in terms of uh, a battleground between the forces of good and evil. Right. Um, they were what Max Weber, the famous sociologist, uh, defined as the two fundamental fundamental Calvinist tenets, that Christians are weapons in the hands of God and executors of his providential ah. will, and that God's glory demanded that the reprobate be compelled to submit to the law of the church. They were made for this. They were made yeah. for this. They, yeah, they had this fundamentalist view that the American way was the Christian way and the Christian way was God's way and God's way was the right way and everyone else needed to bow the fuck down. Blonde hair, to... blue eyes. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the American way, yeah. Change but it. you do not talk with the accent, so it's okay. Um, and then, as I suggested last time, they were also... Um very much the result of American history up until that point, their grandfather, John Watson Foster, had campaigned for Abraham Lincoln. He was the U.S. Secretary of State under Benjamin Harrison. Right. He was also U.S. Ambassador to Mexico, to Russia, to Spain. Mm. He directly helped overthrow the Hawaiian monarchy. Thank you. Uh, Jeez. And then when he left public office, he pretty much invented lobbying. He set up a law firm God. that... <laughs> had this uh, list of big corporate clients and he would try and use US power, military and economic power uh. to help his clients, you know, well, he'd get his clients to get the government to uh, help support their interests around the world. Right. Um, so and so he, he spread American power around the world as did his uh, grandsons. Is it birthright? So, yeah. 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 Jeez. And then the th the third uh, element of this is uh, they had themselves spent their adult lives defending the interests of America's biggest multinational corporations. Right. Exactly. They they weren't uh, big business leaders themselves, but they spent their lives serving the interests of American business leaders. Right. They were sort of the visionaries who developed this idea of corporate globalism or what the Council of Foreign Relations, which they helped create, calls God. liberal internationalism. Mm. They really believed that their life's work was turning American money and power into a global force for what they saw as good. Right. In the mindsets of guys like this, um, using American money and American power to reshape the world in the into just American satellites was when, when the Soviets did it, it was evil, <laughs> right? right? Or when the Nazis or the Japanese or the Chinese but, 
tried to do it. Right. It's evil. When America does it, it is good because America is good because Jesus invented America or fucking whatever. It's it's Jesus. it's this they 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 had this mindset which I think is still prevalent in a yes. lot of Americans on left both sides, left You're and welcome. right today, because I get this from my Democratic friends over there. Yeah. Uh, if America does it, then just by the very fact that America did it, it must be okay. It's an improvement. Unless it happened in the past. Oh, then it's bad. And it was a mistake. Like if... <laughs> Like when when I talked to J. David Markham about Vietnam and he 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 went to Vietnam he, he was mm. a soldier in Vietnam mm-hmm. and of course he will now say it's difficult because he goes well yes I did it and I'm proud that I went but yes it was a bad war and it was a mistake and we shouldn't have been involved but we did because we it was a mistake we believed we were doing the right thing but it was a mistake blah 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 there's layers and layers of apologetics right. and justifications that you get out of people on the american left as opposed to saying no it was inherently bad and uh, it was yeah. done for completely wrong reasons and i did it because i was an idiot and i believed in the rhetoric and the propaganda right. that I was told, and I was young and dumb and full of cum, and I shouldn't have gone, but I did, and I regret it. It was a, it was a bad. Right. You can't. I don't know how many Americans it's, can say that. Yeah, I mean there crazy. are some, like the guy we had on, uh, Danny Searson, who came on and said, "Yeah, I, I went to Iraq and Afghanistan, right. and because uh, I was stupid, I believed the propaganda. Yeah, it was yeah. all bullshit. Exactly. I, I was part of the fucking war profit machine." But I think that's that's a fairly rare, and we know that he, he obviously gets shit ton of criticism yes, for saying yes. that. But and that's probably one reason why people don't say it. If even yeah. if they do have the intellectual integrity and honesty to admit it to themselves yeah. in, at four o'clock in the morning in their quiet moments, they won't they they won't say it publicly because of what that entails. Which shows also, you I think, but. The climate, the climate that still exists in America. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, it's still shit. Yeah, but no, no, yeah. I also think it's 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 it comes down to um, patriotism and nationalism, which is a form of religion. Yes, it's this religious belief that my country, right or wrong, exactly. Right? You know that exactly. my country is the greatest country, and you know you yeah. can't criticize. I can't. You know whatever. Right. Especially if we do something wrong, we double down. So yeah, yeah. Unless the bad guys in my country do it, like they're happy to criticize George Bush and Cheney and Rumsfeld for Iraq. Yeah. But when you say, but hold on, Hillary voted for that, Biden voted for that, they go, well, they kind of had yeah. to, really. Like, you know, right. what else Pressure. are you going to do? You know, yeah. you kind of had to. Yeah. 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 Momentum. It was the thing. It, yeah. was, it was the fashion of the time. It was like wearing flared jeans in the 70s. <laughs> I mean, you look back at it and you go, why did, what were we thinking? But you had to do it. It's like yeah. long hair and sideburns, peer and, pressure, know, bisexual, yeah. by, you know, being you know sucking some dick in the seventies. Like we all did it. I mean, it was just the thing that you did. You snort a bit of coke, drop your keys in the bowl, in the yeah. party, suck some dick. Yeah. You know, back then it was <laughs> yeah. And then I turned sixteen, but uh, yeah, peer pressure made me do that, smoke and vote for a war. Exactly, absolutely. I'm an I'm an adult. But it may be, yeah, it's, it's fucking insane. But no, but they were on a mission from God and, and everything with them, like you were saying, is pretty much absolutes. Now, uh, they both worked at this law firm, Sullivan and Cromwell. John Foster was a partner there for most of his career. Uh, this is a fascinating firm, still around today, headquartered in New York City. It was founded in 1879 by Algernon Sidney Sullivan. Good name. 
There's a, if there's a name you don't yeah. you don't hear enough Algernon. these days. Algernon. Oh, Flowers for Algernon, one of my favourite books as a kid. Um, and Wilson, uh, sorry, William Nelson Cromwell. Good name. No, no British heritage there, I'm sure. Nelson <laughs> Cromwell. Nelson and Cromwell had a blood child. Go ahead. It was set up uh, as an advisory firm to J.P. Morgan. Mm. The uh, the original John Pierpont Morgan. Right. Uh, so John Foster became very famous and very wealthy uh, as a result of Sullivan and Cromwell. He was a member of the elite, lawyer and advisor and financier to the elite, uh, represented the United Fruit Company as a lawyer, and his brother Alan was on their board of directors. Oh, nice. And that will become important when we get to the overthrow of the Guatemalan government in 1954 <laughs> and the, the Bay of Pigs in 1961. Yeah. Both took place when Alan Dulles was running the CIA, as did the overthrow of Mossadegh, the Iranian government, in 1953, which is coming up in our timeline we're going to have to talk about soon. Right. By the way, so in preparation for this, I read Alan Dulles's memoir, right. The Craft of Intelligence, that he put out in 96, published in 1965. Um, Kennedy fired him uh, as director of the CIA after the Bay of Pigs. Right. Then he had Kennedy assassinated, sure. and then he sure. wrote this book uh, a couple of years later, and it's actually a good read. Um, really? it, 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 yeah, it's it's a it's a history mm. of intelligence going right back to ancient Greece and ancient oh. Rome and and the, the the Middle Ages. It's a really good history on the on the history and the craft of intelligence services. Right. I mean, he, he, he could never build one that worked, but he, you <laughs> but know, he, he was a student yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. It's a good book. It's not, I can't do not it. Big, but uh, if you're interested in spy craft, it's definitely a book worth reading. But right in the end, in the summary, there's this section where he says. The communists have not always succeeded, and this is due in no small measure to the employment of intelligence assets, not only of our own, but also those of our friends and allies, including those of friendly governments under communist attack. Their stooges took over power in Iran in 1953 and in Guatemala in 1954, and they were driven out. Oh. Straight up fucking lies. Yes. <laughs> I think you've been trying straight to say interpretation. Up, uh, straight up fucking lies because he was responsible for both of those. Right. They tried they, – they, they, the, the story that the CIA pitched was that the communists had taken over in Iran and the communists had taken over in Guatemala. He really, knows. they were leftist nationalist governments um, that were against U.S. interests and uh, – yeah. The, the U.S. overthrew both of those governments and lied straight up. We know this today. This isn't, right. this isn't conspiracy theory. This is fact. This is based on CIA uh, files that Your have been history. released. Yeah. But they straight up fucking lied about that, and he straight up fucking lied in the book. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that right. the director of the CIA straight up lied in this book. But this just goes – like, <laughs> it's just more evidence to say yeah. you can't trust any of these people. They all yeah. fucking lie, and they lie all the time. Yeah. Unfortunately, sometimes it's hard to figure out what are lies and what aren't lies, but these guys are all just fucking liars. They yeah. lie for a living. That's their craft is to lie to us. Right. And we he don't also, find out until uh, years later. Sorry, go ahead. 
Decades, yeah, decades, decades. later, yeah. quite often, yeah. quite often. That's the yeah. problem with being a conspiracy theorist is you, you know you're getting lied to. You just don't – you can't get evidence for right. what the truth is Where's sometimes for, for many, many decades. Yeah, yeah. And so you shouldn't yeah. – you know, my take, as I've said before on many shows, you know, it gets back to heuristics and epistemology. In the, ab- in the absence of evidence – to support the conspiracy theories, you should not believe the conspiracy theory. Mm. But you'd be open to the fact that, well, maybe there's other stories here that haven't come out yet, but don't throw your fucking log. Then you just become like a an anti-vaxxer, right? right. You become, like, you, you know, or moon landing or flat earth or whatever. Just go, listen, Yeah, uh, I'm not convinced by the story that's out there but mm-hmm. the, the tr- I, i'm not saying i know what the truth is either. right like the kennedy assassination that's my take on the kennedy assassination Who knows? i'm still not convinced exactly. i'm not convinced by the official story because there are so many fucking holes in it and there are so many questions and there are so many issues what the truth is i don't know but yeah I'm not buying it. Sorry, well, just not buying it. Well, the thing is, we know we don't know. Other people just will d- declare, you know, heart on hand that they have the absolute truth, or you should believe them, or whatever. But when you were talking about Dulles and you were reading a part of that book, the this phrase that came to mind was, con- you know, controlling the narrative. He's he's a, he's a, an accepted official. He's been in a government position. He's respected, and so if he writes it in a book, nobody would lie in a book. That's just crazy. It's got to be true. So again, just the balls on this guy when he wasn't using them to bang somebody like a secretary uh yeah it's pretty amazing but again they thought they were on a mission from god yeah do you think when he was writing that he knew that one day the truth would come out and he would be exposed as a complete liar and he's like "Eh, let me me tell you because i was actually there when he was writing that phrase he was getting a bj from his assistant and he didn't give he was laughing and coming at the same time i don't care I'll be dead, and my and my the people that come after me and my family will be too fucking rich to be hurt by it. So fuck everybody. And so money insulates you from problems. You're gonna like name reality. an airport in Washington after my family, Look like yes, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. Not worried about it. I think it's named after JF, but anyway, yeah. Um, now, Alan also in in between the war years worked at Sullivan and Crom- Cromwell, uh-huh. made uh, made a lot of money there, and you know they basically their job was to take their Sullivan and Cromwell corporate clients and help them rule the world. Yes, and by being the Secretary of State and the Director of the CIA, yeah. It was a good gig. Can you, you know, they're in a good position to do that. Can you picture talking to these two brothers that you see, you've got a big company or whatever, and they come up to you or you come up to them and they go, what can we do with the power of the American government and military to help you and your business grow another 10, 15, 50%, whatever. And of course, we'll expect some kind of pain return. I mean, to have access to people like that who are willing to do anything to help out a bud. I mean, that's fucking scary. And like you said, governments will fall because of what these guys are going to do. It's insane. Yeah, millions of people will die, governments will fall. Exactly. Um, so on June 5th, 1953, at one of these weekly meetings of the National Security Council, Dulles told, uh, Alan Dulles told Eisenhower that uh, based on his um, three or four months running the CIA and his, sure, you know, decades of uh, work in intelligence uh, and, and last 10 years for the CIA, <laughs> give or take, um, he could confidently tell Eisenhower that the agency yeah. could give him 
zero prior warning uh, of any Soviet attacks that yes. might be coming. Now, unfortunately for Ike, uh, this is his number one fear. He was there, you know, everybody who, who lived there at the time, kind of like 9-11, he remembered Pearl Harbor. So now his number one fear is to be sucker punched by a country with nu uh, nuclear weapons. I mean, this is going to be a nuclear Pearl Harbor. And so now June 5th, 1953, Alan Dulles is like you said, we cannot give you any warning. We'll know as soon as it's reported on the news and then we're happy to tell you, but th there is nothing we can do for you. And, and, uh, Ike is probably like, oh, fuck, you know, what can I possibly do? What are you guys doing for me? And that half billion dollars that you're getting a year, I'm starting to think, you know, uh, this is bullshit. So a few months later, the CIA guesses, and again, they tell Ike this, that the Soviets cannot launch an intercontinental ballistic missile at the U.S. until at least 1969. That's one thing. The yeah. one thing we can Which, be absolutely confident of. right. Sir, let, me, let, me, let me look you right in the eye, Mr. President. I can tell you Right now, based on all of our data, no, it's not a lot, but we did the Ouija board and we're thinking 1969 before we have to worry about a missile coming over to us. Turns out they were slightly off, just smidgen, smidgen, as much. My fingers are really yeah. close together if you can't see, or, or 12 years. Maybe they were 12 yeah. years off, something like that. So that's exactly what happens. Uh, like literally the next day, <laughs> They're like they're like the guys who uh, <laughs> the record label that didn't sign the Beatles because they said guitar guitar bands were on their way out. Ow. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't like your haircuts. Literally, yeah. The next day, the Soviet Union tested its first nuclear weapon. Yes. Uh, the agency had no clue, gave no warning, and we've talked about this before. Uh, you know, they basically yeah got traces of radiation in the environment and worked right. out what must have happened. Uh, it took them about six weeks to figure it out. Alan Dulles briefed the president and Eisenhower wondered out loud whether or not he should just launch out, uh, launch an all-out nuclear strike on Moscow. This is the guy who wasn't <laughs> happy with launching nuclear weapons at Japan. Right. He's God, he's going to, he's, he's considering circle? launching him. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. 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 Well, that was then when uh, oh, oh, I wasn't the president, but, but now yeah. I am the president. Yeah. It's different. Maybe we should launch every single bomb, put them on bombers and dry, and just blow the fuck out of Russia. Maybe I was wrong and it's just time to wipe them off the earth. Better that than they send one or two bombs over to us. Who knows? But that, I shit my pants when I read that part of the book. Well, I guess that is the difference between uh, him and, and Truman right. and thinking about Japan, is Japan weren't about to launch nuclear weapons at the US. Yes, good But point. he literally can be justified in thinking that, well, maybe they're going to nuke us. We yes. better nuke them before they nuke us. According to the NSC's declassified minutes, he said it looked as though the hour of decision were at hand and that we should presently have to really face the question of whether or not we would have to throw everything at once against the enemy. He had raised this terrible question because there was no sense in our now merely shuddering at the enemy's capability, especially when the United States couldn't know if Moscow had one nuclear weapon or 1,000. We were engaged in the defense of a way of life, and the great danger was that in defending this way of life, 
we could find ourselves resorting to methods that endangered this way of life. The real problem, as the president saw it, was to devise methods of meeting the Soviet threat and of adopting controls, if necessary, that would not result in our transformation into a garrison state. The whole thing, said the president, was a paradox. I'm just imagining that what's that phrase from the movie or the book Catch-22? It's better to live on your knees than die on your feet. And this, and this is almost like game theory. We now know the Soviets have the missile. I don't know how many they have. I don't know how they can transport it. We don't know what they're capable of. But it's because there's a chance we might be hit with a nuclear missile, we should go ahead and wipe out that entire country of tens of millions of people, use all of our weapons, spread nuclear um, radiation all over the place. I mean, these are some crazy moments that this guy's got to live through. And, and it's a valid point. Now that our enemy can wipe us out, maybe we should go ahead and wipe them out. I mean, I would not want to be that guy sitting at that desk. That's crazy. Yeah, and that could have been the first incidents where we all died. Uh, you know, it got close. Yeah. We know that there are some other incidences that come along in the 60s, but mm-hmm. this is the first one where he seriously considered yeah. a nuclear war. Now, of course, we know now that what he didn't know then was the Soviets didn't have a 1,000 nuclear bombs. They'd right. barely been able to build one. Yeah. Um, but he didn't know. So, so no. But if he had nuked Moscow, uh, he probably would have uh, wouldn't have started a nuclear war. It just would have been a one sided thing. Would have killed hundreds of thousands of Russian civilians. Yeah. Yes. Dulles warned Ike that the Russians could launch an atomic attack on the United States tomorrow. God. And Eisenhower said he didn't think anyone here thought the cost of winning a global war against the Soviet Union was a cost too high to pay. Jesus. Now, this is the guy who seems to be anti-war, started the War and Peace Institute, right? Uh, accepted the <laughs> Korean truce, but right. now he's saying, yeah, but if we need to We're start the- a nuclear war, I think I- everyone here will be good with that. I thought, uh, well, they'll be safe. They'll be down in deep bunkers. But anyway. Yeah. 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 No, it's worth it. It's worth it. I made the right call. And this is the insanity of the Cold War, right? Yeah. This, this very idea that the Russians had done nothing. Right. Except they for- hadn't attacked the United States. Exactly. Exactly. There's no troop movement. Did- Troops moving. They had done was physics. Yes. All like, they had done was what America had done, yes. which is build a nuclear weapon. Yeah. And Eisenhower is seriously considering killing hundreds of thousands of Russian civilians. Yeah. Zero sum Just game. because, just to stop them from having the bomb. Right. I can't trust you to have this, so I'm willing to destroy you. But it, it but there's actually another thing. So let's let's take destroying a massive percentage of the uh, human population on the planet. Let's just push that to the side for a second and look at another thing. So um, the price of victory may end up um, with the destruction of American democracy. So there's destruction of real life and we might lose ourselves in pursuing a war with the Soviets. And then I told the joint chiefs of staff, no, excuse me. uh, I said that the joint chiefs of staff told him that we should do what was necessary, even if the result was to change the American way of life, we could lick the whole world if we were willing to adopt the system of Adolf Hitler. So we might wipe out the entire world, or we might have to become Nazis to save the world, but we're going to lose ourselves. 
I don't know what's going always, on anymore. I've always wanted to lick the whole world. <laughs> he's licked the whole world in his with his tongue. He's licked the whole world. <laughs> One lick at a time. Interesting, interesting note is in uh, one of the books mm-hmm. that I was reading. Right. When it said adopt the system of Adolf Hitler, it's spelled Adolf A D O L P H. Right. You don't see that often. It's no. usually A D O L F. Right. You could shorten. Is that anglicized? Is the F anglicized? I have no idea. I, I'm not a Germanologist. Well, it's. Or well, uh, I don't. He just married. <laughs> just married. Just a, married to one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, but yeah. So what the fuck? The Joint Chiefs of Staff are freaking me the fuck out now. Well, we might not be able to survive as a de- democratic country, but we can survive. We'll just be like the Nazis. Yeah, and look, none of the books that I read really made a big, as big a deal of this as I think they should have. This is complete fucking insanity from my perspective. Yeah. Like that's saying, like, uh, they worked themselves up into such a state. And the same is going on now with Iran, right? There's been the same deal with Iran for decades now. Well, we can't let them have nuclear weapons. Whatever it takes. We've got the bomb. A bunch of other countries have got the bomb, yeah. but we can't let these guys have the bomb. Why? It'd well, it would be the end. Because we, we just don't like them. Yeah. yeah <laughs> really. We can't. Because they don't like us, so we can't let them have the bomb. I mean, it was a, the, just the very, the very idea of openly suggesting nuking a, a, a city or a country for the crime of science, which is what it is here, they're building a weapon for self-defense. They saw what happened to Japan. They're like, shit, we better get ourselves one of those. Uh, and he's talking about nuking them for the crime of, of building the same weapon the Americans had built. Well, if you're, if you're Ike and his CIA staff and you already assume that the Soviets are going to destroy you, it's just a matter of when and how, and they develop the bomb. The bomb isn't in the, in the American mindset. The bomb isn't to defend themselves. The the bomb is to be used offensively to go after the Americans. Well, we know they want to destroy us because that's what everybody's saying. And now they can destroy us, so we need to destroy them. And so there's no sense of the the of, of any rational thought on the Russians' part. They're going to bomb us. It's just a matter of when. We got to take them out. Again, we're on the brink of annihilation here. Even though. There's no reason or evidence to no. suggest they were going to bomb them. Well, it's all emotional. No, they're not. They're emotional. not even at war. Exactly. Exactly. You're staring at me. I'm staring at but, you. Yeah. As it was, Eisenhower decided that the CIA, based on their f- tremendous track record <laughs> up to that point, were the secret. We're going to save the saviors the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, although in June 16, 17 of 1953, when hundreds of thousands of East Germans took to the streets to protest work quotas that they'd been issued and oh. just general declining living standards, possibly motivated in part by the RIAS, the American radio station in West Berlin, right. <clears throat> that was like Radio Free Europe. It was sending American propaganda into East Germany. Uh, when when these hundreds of thousands of East Germans took to the streets, the CIA and the USA were completely unable to help them. Right. 
The uprising was put down by the East German government with the help of Soviet tanks. Uh, surprisingly, though, only 39 people died. Oh, wow. Out of hundreds of thousands of people who took to the streets. Right. Uh, so, you know, despite all of the efforts that the CIA had been making in East Germany, and again, I, look, I found no evidence to suggest that uh, they did uh, motivate or, or, or encourage right. the protests. Right. But... And knowing what we know about how America's were using, America was using their radio stations at the time and how they did subsequently yeah. across Europe, when they definitely yeah. did do that, and we have evidence of that, I don't think there are any uh, transcripts of the American radio broadcasts uh, out of West Berlin at the time. Convenient. I, I did I did as much research as I could this week to try and find some evidence of that. Mm-hmm. I found nothing. Right. But either way, the CIA wasn't able to do anything about it. The following week, Eisenhower ordered the CIA to train and equip underground organisations capable of launching large-scale raids or sustained warfare in East Germany and other Soviet satellites. He also called upon the CIA to encourage elimination of key puppet officials in these states. So... Political murder. Political assassination. Assassination. You haven't done anything wrong, but it would help destabilize that satellite area. So take them out if you can. So basically, there's another uprising. Eisenhower doesn't want to hear. We, we, there's nothing we can do. We can't help them. Frank Wisner, who was probably wetting himself when he heard about the uprising, but then he gets frustrated because he can't do anything. Eisenhower is probably like, that's not going to happen again. Let's get ready for the next time. And if we can take out some of these guys, but yeah, let's just train some guys and they should start taking out the, 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 the leaders of the enemy. I mean, this is insane. That's how you start wars. No trials. No trials. Jury yeah. of their peers. No jury of their peers. To the best of my knowledge, this is the first time a United States president gave an order for Americans to carry out assassinations of other world leaders. But... Not not outside of wartime. Right. You and I are no longer practicing lawyers, and it's probably best for the world. But but since Eisenhower tells it through the CIA, that's like me promising you, but I have my fingers crossed behind my back. So, yes, I did say kill these people, but I said it to the CIA, and everything they do is – and I'm being semi-serious here because everything they do is secret. I didn't really say it because it's a secret order, so it doesn't exist, or you won't find out about it for decades. So maybe he, in his head he justified it by saying, oh, it's the CIA that's going to do it. I don't know. I'm just trying to picture how could he, like you said, seems like war is a horrible thing. He experienced war from a safe distance, but now he seems to have gone all the other way, nuclear war, or let's just start killing political leaders. I'm just trying to get. I thought you were going to say he gave it to the CIA, which is like me giving you the responsibility of preparing for an entire show by yourself. Right. Well, both I know of it's you, never going to happen. Well, both of you were setting yourself up for failure. I mean, if anybody, well, you should be embarrassed right now. <laughs> he said, "I'll tell the CIA to do this." I know they don't have a fucking you know, oh, no hope, no oh. way they're going to be able to do this because they're fucking useless. So maybe it's not but, worrying. You know, makes them feel good. Makes them feel oh, like I think they're gotcha. not a complete punch of useless cunts. 
But, uh, you know, I, I know right. they're never going to do it. Well, no, but I think yeah. I'm serious. So yeah. here you have the president. This is Eisenhower. Uh, fuck the United Nations. Fuck diplomacy. Fuck all of that kind of stuff. The rule of law. They're just going to create an American hit squad. Yeah. It's going to go around the world and try and assassinate with no due process political leaders in other countries. That was the due process right there. That was it. Did you miss that? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. No. uh, Well, how about this? How about this? As crazy as what you just said sounds, isn't it better than a nuclear blowout, just sending everything we've got? Look, yeah, I can send all my nuclear weapons over there, or I could just kill a couple leaders. So relatively, I'm still the good guy here, relatively speaking. I'm reaching. I, I guess know. that's the justification. Right, right. You assassinate 10 to save the lives of millions. Yes. I mean, that's the rationalization for it. But, but the bottom line is the U.S. president is... Uh, Still legal. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's illegal even under American law, let alone international law, United Nations, etc. Exactly. That summer, uh, he convened a meeting in the White House solariums, which is perfect because you can get a tan yes. while you're having a meeting. He uh, convened, uh, it's not the National Security Council, but it's uh, another group. It's like a shadow National Security Council he pulls there together. The people he trusted the most yes. in the uh, area of national security, Walter Bettelsmith, George Kennan, <laughs> John Foster Dulles, right? Retired Air Force Lieutenant General James uh, Doctor Doolittle. Hell yes, could fly a plane and talk to the animals. Yes. It's like having Aquaman on your side. He could actually talk a, an animal through landing a plane in an emergency. That's how good he yeah. was. That's all I'm saying. He's also the guy who led the bombing of Tokyo, right. firebombing of Tokyo in 1942, yes. and asked them to redefine American national strategy towards the Soviets. Sure, sure. They worked on that for five years, at which point they basically gave up and said, "Yeah, <laughs> uh, we don't know what we're doing, yeah. honestly. Like, thank you, but thanks for the opportunity, but... Uh, yeah, it's like rolling back oxygen. We right, really don't can't. know how you do it. Like, uh, but he did try and uh, redirect the CIA during these years. Yeah. Instead of tackling the Soviets head on, he decided to attack them around the world, wherever colonial empires were crumbling. Yeah, that's where the yeah. CIA would play a role in Asia, in the Middle East, Africa. Latin America, spread our forces there, make sure that we grab the power and the power vacuum before the Soviets do. And under Eisenhower, the CIA undertook 170 new major covert operations in 48 countries. We're basically fucking with it. We're all those all those countries that hate us, this is kind of the reason why. If they've got people in their countries that are old enough to remember the shit, we went around and we or fucked, read a book or read a book. We went around and, and fucked with at least 48 nations while Ike was president. It's insane. It's insane. Why are we doing this? Well, because we, we got it. Yeah, to save them from the Soviets doing this. Right. 
we need to invade and overthrow countries, uh, governments of countries around the world, so somebody else doesn't do yeah. it first. We, we made this point, I think, on the previous episode, but I just want to make it here because it comes up again. So we have American spies going to these 48 countries. They don't speak the language. They don't know the culture. They don't know the history of the country, which, again, you think would be critical because it would help them to blend in, try to win the people over, whatever. Basically, college graduate white males who probably have a certain point of view about life, certain religion, whatever, the whole thing, they're completely unqualified, but they're the ones that we're sending in. And we're, we're fucking with these people in the, and supposedly we're saving them, but we're making their lives harder. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's like saying, uh, listen, uh, uh, to a, to a uh, hot track. I know you've done this before, a hot, attractive young girl. Um, I'm going to rape you because right. if I don't, somebody else will probably rape you. And it's be really, better for you if yes. I rape you because I'm a Christian. I'm a gentle so if rapist. I ra- at least if you get raped, by a rich Christian guy, it's better than getting raped by some poor, hairy communist dude, right? So atheist, right? right? So, yeah, you should thank me. Yeah. In fact, yeah. once I rape you, I want you to give me all your money. Uh, and your loyalty. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Or I'll yes. have to rape you again if you don't. Like the apologetics and the rationalizations for it are pretty, pretty lame. I mean, right. it's it's – justifying terror to prevent terror. to prevent terror yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a good kind of like like um larry david and the hodgkins it's a good kind of terror which is better than the bad kind of terror or something like i can't try to remember it's been years but you want my terror you don't want that other guy's terror trust me i've been there you want mine Jesus. So, of course, Eisenhower architected this whole thing with the Dulles brothers. Um, <laughs> the way it would work is that if Alan had an idea, usually he would give it to his brother, Foster, right, right. over dinner and drinks. Yep. Uh, Foster then, as Secretary of State, would talk to the president over a cocktail in the sure. Oval Office sure. late at night. Cockatoo, yeah. Foster would then go back to Alan with the president's approval Right. And just the president's warning, just don't get caught. That was his that literally. Yes. That was his warning yeah. to Alan Dallas. Show do it. The only limit. Just don't get don't get caught. Don't get caught. We're good. You're golden pony boy. Do whatever. Do the crazy plan that you told your brother and he told me. Just don't get caught. And let's move on. Foster believed that the United States could and should do everything in its power to alter or abolish mm-hmm. every and any political regime right. not openly allied with and loyal to the United States. It sounds right. That actually sounds And right. Alan, his brother, completely agreed. Fucking and a, with bro. Eisenhower's blessing... They set out to take over the world. I think um, Alan Dulles, there's actually a quote from him going, fucking A, brother, fucking A. So, yeah, they were going to re, re, rewrite the map of the world based on their beliefs, and they had the backing of the president who probably didn't want to know the details. Don't worry about it, Mr. President. We got this. We got this. Descended across the continent. 